everybody and welcome to views from the 573 hope you all are doing well on this friday morning we're here we made it to the end of another week and that means we're here towards the weekend so everybody get fired up we, it's the weekend we got the olympics going on exciting time but as i said on monday we are oh i was thinking about coming back since there's a lot going on with texas and oklahoma nba draft had that going on. Yeah, the MLB trade deadline. And I was going to continue with the NFL preview. And boy, did the draft and trade deadline deliver with a lot of big stuff happening, especially the MLB. The MLB kind of sneaking in on NBA draft night and with a big blockbuster trade here that we'll discuss a little bit later. But we're going to be talking about all that stuff going on with the NFL. We're going to be doing the AFC South. This uh this Friday on this pod, and uh it's probably gonna be a little bit shorter to be <laughs> to be honest about uh with the uh, with the teams in that division uh I mean you got Houston you got Jacksonville uh, so uh the I mean there you go that might be a reason why it's a little bit shorter than usual but nonetheless we're gonna be talking about the AFC South and some of my thoughts again that's I mean that's a division that hits close home with my times so i'll talk about all that stuff when we get to it of course the nba draft we'll talk about that some of them winners and losers what i thought about what my grizzlies did in the draft last night of course they made a move shortly thereafter the pod on monday moving up to 10 from 17 so we'll talk about that whether that move is worth it for my team and the mlb yeah the mlb trade deadline is today which there'll probably be some more big trades that happen probably as soon as this pie gets done, because of course. Uh, but there are still some big names out there. Craig Kimbrell, Jose Rios from the Twins. He's still out there. Chris Bryant from the Cubs has been mentioned. He, you've already got one teammate and Anthony Rizzo traded. So there might be another Cub on their way out. So we'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, let's talk about some other news going on right now, and that is with Texas and Oklahoma. Of course, that was the big thing we talked about on Monday. Well, things have rapidly developed since then as the SEC extended official invitations about Thursday, and it seems like Texas has officially accepted their invitation, and Oklahoma, their meeting this morning as well and i'm pretty sure there's gonna be an announcement here uh soon probably as soon as the pod gets up that they accepted their invitation as well it was only a matter of time and of course in in the meantime between friday and today you've also had the big 12's commissioner saying espn is conspiring and that you know and uh i listen i i love a conspiracy theory as much as the next person especially when it comes to sports and you know there there could be some truth there. I could see where. I, I'll be straight up honest. And reading what he was, what uh, Bob Bowlesley was saying, all the ESPN uh, was in cahoots with trying to get something like this to happen, and they're with the American and trying to help them out and increase their revenue. Listen, this stuff may have no validity at all. I mean, you could kind of see some of it happening, but that's not to say it, it's true. It, 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 and most likely, it might not. It might not be true at all. 
But that is a uh, it, it is interesting to think about when you read that statement that you know um, the American getting involved because that's been that was a a conference we talked about that could potentially benefit from adding some Big Twelve teams or potentially having some teams go to the Big Twelve. And you know I I kind of see where this is going where it seems like ESPN they got the SEC. They're going to have the American. Those are going to be the big two. And then over with Fox, you're going to have the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and no more uh, no more Big 12. That's the way it looks like. Now, adding some of those Big 12 teams to the Americans basketball conference is something me and my dad were talking about is really going to help that conference because you add Baylor who just won the national championship. You had Kansas, who's a blue blood. You had Texas in there. Texas Tech has been good as of late. You had some pretty good programs. Well, forget Texas. They're going to the SEC. But still, that's a pretty good program to add for the SEC with uh, basketball, with Texas and Oklahoma. But think about it. You had Baylor to to the the AAC. You had Kansas. Texas Tech. I'm trying to think of uh, Oklahoma State just had the number one pick uh, going in the NBA draft, so they they got that going for them. So if you're the American and you add those teams to football, great, but if, and uh, they'll help they'll help football out too in, in a big way. Basketball it'll really help them out, considering that basketball conference is pretty good. You got Houston that's done pretty well, Cincinnati has been known to be decent. Memphis, you got them in there. You, you got some players in there. So that only really helped boost the conference and the competition there. So Texas has officially accepted their invitation to the SEC. So they're officially in, and it looks like Oklahoma's going to vote, and they they will say yes. And they said by 2025, I guys, that that's just all talk. I assume, just like everybody else, there, there's going to be a way to try to find to get both those teams in by next year. So this will be their final year, final year in the Big Twelve. Yes, it's going to be awkward, and they'll probably most likely be in the SEC. And like we ran over on Monday, I assume they'll be going over to the SEC West along with Missouri and Auburn and Alabama will go to the SEC East, unless they do away divisions and they go. With the idea of pods, like with a few teams in a pod, and they would play the other teams in a pod one year, then make sure they play teams in a different pod, and so on. So I imagine that's what happened. So Texas has officially accepted their invitation. Oklahoma is looking like they will as well since they're meeting today. So be on lookout for that. So Texas and Oklahoma officially accept the SEC's invitation. It's going to look like, and they're going to be part of the SEC. And again, sooner rather than later, in all likelihood, because there's no way neither one of those programs or the SEC is going to wait to 2025. Number one, for those two programs, it'd be even more awkward if they stayed that long. And if you're the SEC, you just want to, you want to capitalize on bringing them in here right then, right now, while while this is news, and make and make this big time change. So. There's Oklahoma and Texas. Let's talk a little bit 
about what's going on in baseball. And I know I'm not the baseball aficionado here, but nonetheless, these are some big trades that have gone down here in the last couple days, especially with one that happened in the last 24 hours. So let's start off with the New York Yankees right now. And the Yankees, I remember during the home run derby, Joey Gallo wanted to compete in that derby as a Ranger because there's, I guess, a growing sense that he was going to get dealt. And in the end, he did get dealt. The Yankees add him to their lineup. And they need and they need some left-handed hitters. And Joey Gallo is a left-handed power hitter, if there is one. And not only do they add Joey Gallo, they also add Anthony Rizzo from the Chicago Cubs yesterday. Another left-handed power hitter. Where it's really going to kind of balance them out. You have Giancarlo Stan. You have Aaron Judge. Batting on the right side give you a couple power bats. But then you add these two on the left side to kind of help things out. Now, you're going to have to do some tinkering around. You know, Luke Voigt, who's the first baseman there, might have to be moved there since Anthony Rizzo plays first base. But uh, the Yankees are in an interesting spot now because they are behind the Rays and the Red Sox with the Rays making a couple moves, the, the Red Sox acquiring Kyle Schwarber from the Nationals. And <laughs> we'll talk about the Nationals here in a minute. So, they're making moves. We'll see if this helps out the Yankees and maybe if they're trying to if they're gonna go help get some help for their pitching for their bullpen or stuff like that. But we'll see if this helps out the Yankees. If there's one thing you can't count them out for, it's them trying to make a run here. And essentially both those clubs, the Rangers and the Cubs, are essentially gonna be paying Gallo and Rizzo's salary, so the Yankees don't have to worry about too much. And also, they gave up some pretty decent prospects for him. Their farm system is very deep. Very, uh, again, from what uh, they when I was on ESPN and they were talking about the Joey Gallo trade and the prospects there, you know, they were kind of saying, you know, their minor league system is pretty good from top to bottom. And so, they uh, they trade a lot of their prospects for Rizzo and for Gallo. So they're trying to make a move. So, I said, speaking of the Nationals, the Nationals are having a complete fire sale. I remember a few days back, it, it seemed like everybody, but maybe Trey Turner and definitely Juan Soto is up for grabs. And it doesn't seem like Trey Turner was uh, was not going to be traded at all. So, it looks like he's going along with Max Scherzer. Now, it did seem like Max Scherzer was going to go to the Padres, the Dodgers division rival there that the Padres were going to get some help down the stretch with Scherzer, and adding somebody like him to your pitching staff will only bolster it. But how things change, and boy did they change ever so quickly and ever so uh, majorly for the Dodgers and for the Nationals. So, Dodgers were, of course, one of the teams that were in on Scherzer. That was probably expected, but the surprise was... Trey Turner. Again, he might or might not have been on the trade block. The Nationals, but again, again, the Nationals basically said, essentially, maybe Trey can be available for trade if uh, there's a good offer out there for him. Juan Soto definitely ain't getting traded, which, speaking of, I kind of feel bad for him. 
it seems like the Nationals now are going to be pretty bad here for the foreseeable future with them trading a lot of their pieces. They traded, again, Schwarber to the Red Sox. They did make a trade with the Padres. They traded reliever Daniel Hudson over to them to help them out. But the Dodgers, they complete this trade acquiring Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner from the Nationals. And the Nationals really get a lot of the Dodgers' top prospects. I believe one of their prospects was ranked in the low 20s. And now in the national system, it's ranked like 10th. But they got Josiah Gray. They also got uh, Hebert Ruiz, a catcher. So they get two of the Dodgers' most prized prospects from their farm system to help them out. And uh, just, just as it came up, uh, Oklahoma accepted its uh, SEC invitation. So there you go. That's There's the official word. But for the Dodgers, you look at the... NL West right now. The Giants, they've been kind of a surprise. They're one of the top teams in that division. And you got the Padres and Dodgers not too far behind them. The Padres were in on Scherzer. They missed out on him. Now your individual rivals got him. And yes, Trevor Bauer, he's extended leave, keeps on extending. <laughs> but you add him to a rotation of guys like Walker Bueller, Kershaw, uh, Urias. You've got got a really deep pitching staff there if you're the Dodgers. And boy, do I feel tough for the team. I I feel really bad for the team that's going to have to go if it's like a best of three at the Dodgers. um, A best of five, rather, at the Dodgers. Don't find a way to come back and maybe try to get top spot where maybe they don't have to play in the wild card. I feel bad for the team that's going to have to play them and it's going to have to go three games of here's Walker Bueller, here's Clayton Kershaw, here's Max Scherzer, and I mean they got a couple other guys up there that can pitch as well. So I just feel bad for that team that's going to have to go face that rotation and uh, whoever went best of five, you know, whoever wins three out of five I feel bad for that uh, the team that's going to face them. That won't be fun. It won't be easy. So, the Dodgers made a huge move there, bolstering their rotation. And Trey Turner. Listen, Corey Seager, he's coming back. Also, Trey Turner's kind of an insurance policy right now. You don't know Corey Seager, who's a free agent, is going to be returning next season. So, if C- Corey Seager does leave, you have a really good <laughs> insurance and one of the best shortstops in the game and Trey Turner out there. And from what I've seen, I think he is going to be, once everything's good to, glo- good to go, I think he's in COVID protocol right now. But once everything's set and ready to go, I think the plan is for the Dodgers is that they are going to start Corey Seager at shortstop and have Trey Turner play second base. And... Adding Trey Turner only help, only makes your offense better and makes your defense better a lot too. Adding him uh, in that middle infield with Corey Seager. That's dangerous. That's scary for, for any opposing NL teams. So the Dodgers, they come away with a big blockbuster trade. Really, It was really kind of going on pre-draft and during the draft as well as far as the details that were getting hammered out. 
But the Dodgers adding Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, boy, the, the Giants better gear up. The Padres better gear up because here come the Dodgers. Here come the defending champs. And they're looking to try to, re- to go back-to-back this year for sure. So, moving on from baseball, a little baseball talk there. Let's talk some NBA, but we're not going to talk about the draft just yet because we had a little bit of pre-draft trades going on. We had, we had some action going on here with, of course, the Lakers. I mean, we talked about them on Monday, potentially making some moves to try to add a third-star type of player along with AD and LeBron. And it looked like they were going to do that with Sacramento. They've been looking to trade Kuzma and Montres Harrell opted into this contract. And it looked like there was going to be a trade where both those guys were going to go to Sacramento. Sacramento was going to trade Buddy Heald to the Lakers, in which I like that fit for the Lakers. It gives them a really good shooter uh, for LeBron to pass to, whether it's on the dribble or off the dribble. And it's really going to help the spacing out there. However, here come the Lakers and Wizards. Here comes this deal. With the Wizards, you don't know what you're going to do with Bradley Beal. And after this deal, Beal has maintained that you know he wants to stay and he wants to see what's going to happen. And it looks like he's going to be there, at least for now. So, the Wizards, they have Russell Westbrook. Westbrook's an L.A. kid, and he's going to get to go back to L.A. With the Lakers trading Kuzma and Harrell, the two original pieces in the Kings trade. Also, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and the 22nd pick in last night's NBA draft, in which the Wizards used, I think they traded to Indiana. So, this is a big deal for the Wizards. There was somebody that tweeted out maybe they might not be keeping Kuzma and Harold. They may look to flip them, but they want to keep KCP because I guess uh, he has a good relationship with Bradley Beal. So I guess anything to keep him can help. But for the Wizards, you trade Westbrook. Beal's going to be your guy now, and we'll have to see how that situation goes. Now for the Lakers, I'll be straight up honest. I'd like the Buddy Heald move. A whole lot more than adding Russell Westbrook. I saw a couple of jokes talking about, oh man, like the spacing with the Lakers offense is going to be horrifying with uh, Westbrook out there. Because again, <laughs> Westbrook isn't that good, too good of a shooter, everybody. So I would just think the Buddy Heald fit. Would have been a whole lot better, a whole lot more spacing, a whole lot more shooting. And you get a guy that can go out there and get buckets and Buddy Heald. You add Westbrook. To I definitely, It's going to be interesting to see how he, LeBron, AD, how those three operate. And again, Westbrook is not the type of guy that... That you can, LeBron can throw it out to and say, hey, here, go shoot it. I have complete faith in you. Absolutely not. Westbrook's the complete antithesis of that. But I will say this about Russ. You know what you're getting. A guy that's going to compete 
each and every single night, another playmaker out there that will probably help take some pressure off LeBron. And in which case, you probably need some pressure to be taken off of LeBron considering this whole last season and how really close it was in conjunction with the bubble season and all that stuff. And LeBron missing some time due to injury is that this is probably uh, something that the Lakers really need to add. And so they get Westbrook, who's a playmaker. He's going to go out there and make plays, hustle, give everything he's got. And, you know, that honestly will probably help them in the regular season a whole lot. Postseason, it might be a little bit different. But if it takes some pressure off LeBron and it helps him, I mean, this could, that could be a good move for the Lakers. So right now, if you, from my point of view, I don't know how it helps them in the playoffs. I think it's probably going to hurt them a little bit more. And Westbrook and the spacing, it's not going to be what you want. The NBA is all about spacing, three-point shooting. Buddy Hills could have offered that. Westbrook doesn't. But Westbrook, I do think, can help the Lakers win a lot of games in the regular season. Will definitely help give. LeBron a little bit of rest as far as playmaking for the Lakers a whole lot. That Westbrook will be able to take some of the load off of LeBron. We'll just have to see what Westbrook we get. Now, if we get a Westbrook that stops shooting ill-advised threes, it's just an absolute playmaker, giving throwing it up to AD, giving it to LeBron, creating havoc at the rim, then... If you get that guy for the Lakers, that that's honestly great. And we know Westbrook can throw it out to players that in, in the corner or on the wing that can shoot the three. Again, this is a guy that's averaged triple doubles, and he passed the big O for the most triple doubles in, in, in NBA history. So we know he can pass and play, make, and create off the ball and on the ball. It just depends on what Westbrook we see. And if the Lakers can add some more shooting through free agency, which starts on Monday, if they can add some guys, maybe using the uh, the minimum, add some guys that just want to come there, try to win a ring with them, then maybe you get, you'll be able to get some shooters to come in there and help them out. Losing KCP hurts because he, he was a pretty good shooter for the Lakers, and he was also a pretty good wing defender. So you're losing him. So, we'll just have to see how this goes for the Lakers and see if it works. Now, as far as the draft is concerned, let's talk a little bit about that. And, of course, from what Wolves was telling us, really before the draft, it seemed like the three picks were locked in. Cade Cunningham going to Detroit with them making a decision on him. The, the Houston Rockets going with Jalen Green, number two, taken from the G League, a 19, which it makes him the first player to be selected to, with bypassing college. And that's been a long time since that's happened. And then at number three, Evan Mobley from USC, the big man going to Cleveland. I'll be straight up honest here. I feel bad for him going from Southern California to Cleveland. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm being for real. I, I feel bad for him. Uh, but I do love what Cleveland's getting with Mobley. There's a lot of potential with him. And you add him to 
And there's an interesting Cleveland team with you got Darius Garland, Colin Sexton. They got and they drafted Okoro last year. Still got Kevin Love on that team. Man. So we'll just have to see how Cleveland works, but I do like pairing that uh, Evan Mobley, the big man that he is, along with those two guards in Garland and Sexton. So that was your top three. Kay Cunningham, I think, is going to be pretty pretty good for Detroit. It's going to be exactly what they need. They added him along with Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, and Sadiq Bey. They're two all-rookie NBA team players. And we'll just have to see what they do in free agency. But now they get the front, they they get the headliner that Detroit has not had in honestly a long time. And now you add Kate Cunningham, who can do so much for that team. Jalen Green, you're getting a guy that's going to get buckets straight up. And I'll be straight up honest here. I like what the Rockets did besides Jalen Green. I like what they did. And a lot of other people did too. They made some pretty good picks here in this draft, having four first-round picks, making a trade with Oklahoma City, which Oklahoma City continues to stockpile its first-round picks like they're going out of business, like there's none of them left, like they're going extinct. But I like what the Rockets did, and it all started with Jalen Green up there at number two. At number four, I was pretty much thinking, you know what? Raptors are going to go replace Lowry. They're going to take Suggs. You got a backcourt of him and Fred Van Vliet. I like it. I like the direction they're going. Suggs, really good player. He's going to get the focus on basketball now. He's talked about that here recently, where he's going to get the focus on that primarily instead of both basketball and football. So I thought that's where they were going. And honestly, I probably should have expected Scotty Barnes to go there. It does seem like a Raptors type of player that would go there. I mean, you look at Scotty Barnes. He is extremely long. He wants to be a good defender. He wants to be great at it. And also, he can he can play make. He can he can do some of that stuff. I mean, you've seen Siaka ring the ball up a few times for Toronto. He can do some of that. And he's a big guy too. 6'8". I think his wingspan is like 7'3". He's got 39-inch vertical. And hands just half an inch smaller than than Kawhi's. So, so I mean, hey, you got to... So, Toronto, I guess they got exactly what they were what they were looking for with a, with a guy like Barnes. And, of course, I think you're probably going to have to wait for him to come along a little bit. But if he wants to be a great defender... That translate to the NBA. That translates. So, you know, I can't knock the Toronto for the pick if it's something. Yeah, I could see them going. I could see them picking this player in their wheeled house. So, Barnes goes four. And around the top five, you have Jalen Suggs going to Orlando. And boy, oh boy, Orlando won out with this one. I mean, looking at where Orlando, it's not exactly stable to say their backcourt is, but they do got a lot of young pieces there. You got Markel Fultz, who's on his way back from a torn ACL. You drafted Cole Anthony last year, who had his moments. 
you had a couple guys in Gary Harris and, and Michael Carter, and Mark Carter Williams, who are probably stop gaps. You also have a guy that could be a wild card in RJ Hampton, who they acquired in the Aaron Gordon trade that they did with Denver. So they got a lot of young talent there at the guard spot. And adding Jalen Suggs, this is a this is a great pick for the Orlando Magic. And Orlando's probably wondering, how did he fall in our hands? Now, if you're probably Orlando, probably thinking if Suggs doesn't fall, it's probably like Scotty Barnes is the pick here, Kaminga, because if you keep up with Orlando Magic draft history, those are exactly the type of prospects in their wheelhouse. Example, Aaron Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, those type of guys. <laughs> but they get Jalen Suggs here. A winner, a guy that did awesome at a Gonzaga last year. And they add him to this group of guards here. And uh, I think if you're Jamal Mosley, you, you got to be excited. The new head coach of the Magic, you got to be excited getting Jalen Suggs here at number five. So that's the top five. Now, Orlando did have another pick in the top ten. They took Franz Wagner from Michigan a guy that can develop to be a really solid player on the wing who grew a little bit. And then I think that was the only team that had two picks on the top 10 that I'm thinking of. But as far as the other picks in the, in the top 10, you had Josh Giddy, the Australian product go to the Oklahoma State Thunder. Kind of a little bit of surprise there. Uh, I was surprised by how many people they were able to compare him to on Twitter last night. I saw Troy Bolton, Timothy Chalamet, Sean Mendez, like, my goodness. Um, So, he goes there, number six. Golden State, they have pick number seven. Jonathan Kaminga. I'll be honest here with you guys. I, I thought Golden State would probably trade this pick, or at least pick somebody that would help them right away. And with Kaminga, I don't know if he's necessarily that. Because he's, he might have the big, uh, the highest amount of risk and reward of these prospects here. If he hits... Where's my outstanding pick? If he doesn't, then then a bad pick uh, a bad pick there by Golden State at seven, and which people years later will say, oh, they maybe should have traded that. They maybe should have gone made a move for somebody like Beal or um, Buddy Hill or somebody else who was out there that could help them now. So with Kaminga at seven. It is a little bit of a question mark for me because I don't see what adding a 19-year-old, considering what they just did last year and adding Wiseman, I don't know what that's going to do, how that's going to help them. But I will say, though, adding Kaminga, it does give you some centerpieces for the long-term future with Wiseman, with Kaminga, and with later 14, Moses Moody, who dropped all the way to 14. So, Golden State there, Jurassic Kaminga. 
and then Franz Wagner goes eight to the Magic. Davion Mitchell, kind of a surprise going to Sacramento there at number nine. I'm sure he's just a surprise. I'll be honest, I don't know what the Kings are doing. <laughs> I mean, I like the Tyrese Halliburton pick last year. But adding him when you have De'Aaron Fox and you draft Halliburton last year, and you still have Buddy Hield there, I, I I don't know what you're doing. I, I, I got nothing for the Kings. And then, let's go to number 10. With my Grizzlies picking there, making the trade earlier in the week. Trading pick number 17, Jones Valentinus. Uh, Valentinus, we thank you, JB. We thank you for your service, big guy. I hate that we're going to be playing you four times a year, but that's just the way it is. Uh, we make that trade. We move all the way up to 10, and we take on the Eric Bledsoe contract. I'll be honest, I don't think we're going to keep Bledsoe for long. Uh, Steven Adams, a guy that <laughs> is notorious in Memphis for getting Zach Randolph suspended. In game six in 2014, I think it was. In their first round series in with Oklahoma City that year. Comes along in the deal. Along with a pick swap of their second round picks. Memphis moving up from 51 to 40. And also, the Pelicans trading one of the picks they got from the AD trade last year. Trading the Lakers 2022 first round pick. That's top 10 protected. So I'm naturally assuming that hey, it's gonna go, it's gonna be ours next year, and uh, I think Memphis also has Utah's pick next year, in which the protect protections on that are significantly different than they were this year. So it's looking in all likelihood that Memphis has three first round picks next year. Now let's talk about what they did last night with James Booknight and with Moses Moody falling. I expect it, you know, I feel like they're going to go with one of those two guys. Those guys can get buckets. Moody has 3 and D potential out there. Book Knight is a straight-up bucket. See what his fit is like with Ja, and I think that's key. What is his fit next to your franchise player? And they don't go either way. In fact, I was kind of surprised there. They don't go either way with one of those guys, and neither did Sacramento. So I was like, oh, yeah, we got a choice here. But neither did Memphis. And they go with a guy that I thought, you know, they could maybe pick him. I don't know if you trade up for him. Or maybe he falls down to 17. But it sounds like they were not expecting him to fall all the way down to 17. And they take Zaire Williams, the wing out of Stanford. And if you're wondering, does that name sound familiar? Well, there's a reason why. Play at Sierra Canyon. He played alongside uh, Brandon BJ Boston, who got picked up by the Pelicans with that pick, and I think it's going to the Clippers. Which him and Keon Johnson, I think, are both are going to the Clippers. Actually, pretty solid there, not knowing a Kawhi, when Kawhi's back coming back. So you have BJ Boston, also Zaire Wade, Dwayne Wade's oldest son, right there, and a certain son of LeBron James and Bronny. And so that's maybe where you know that's where you may know him from. He played at Stanford this past season. I think the word is that he grew a little bit and now he's a little bit taller now. Where he's about six nine, six ten. And 
the early discourse I saw on Twitter from real from Grizzlies Twitter really is that you had Book Knight and Moody just fall to you and you pass on them. I do understand why, but looking at it now, I think this is a pick that we've been asking the, the Grizzlies, if you're a Grizzlies fan, that we've been asking and wanting them to make for a long time. A really athletic wing that can create off the dribble and can be a playmaker. Isn't that what isn't that something that we've kind of needed here for the longest time now? Is somebody be able like that and somebody that has this type of height to be able to do that? Well, then, yeah. I think this is the type of guy that you'd look at and was like, we've wanted the Grizzlies to draft this guy for so long. And I'm not going to make any comparisons here, but I do remember reading something. I don't know if it was connected to him. It might have been about Kaminga. Uh, if the Grizzlies were going to try to trade up and trade and get him. But back in 2010, Paul George was taken 10th by the Pacers. A couple picks later, you had the Grizzlies who were heartbroken that Paul George didn't fall at number 12. And Grizzlies picked Zabe Henry, and you know the rest of the story. So I do kind of feel that this is kind of a, a, a makeup for that. All these years later. Now, yes, it's a different regime, different from office. I get that. But I do think maybe if he can be somebody that, that can be in that Paul George range. And one thing I've seen people mention is maybe Grant Hill light. Then, yes, you definitely add a player like that at 10. It's definitely worth it to move up, move up to trade him. Now, we'll just have to see how it goes. Now, as of now... Maybe it wasn't worth it to trade up, you know, and, and moving all that all the way up, trading Valentunas. But I will say, the first round, the extra first round pick they get next year can potentially help them in maybe moving around a little bit more in next year's draft, where you have three first round picks to work with. I guarantee you, they will not use all those first round picks. They might use just one of them. And, um, and, you know, at best, they'll, they'll use two. They are not keeping all three next year. So, you add Zaire Williams. What are you going to be getting? Well, from what I've read, Stanford kids, so you naturally assume, you go to Stanford, you have to be a really smart kid. And from what's been said, he is really high basketball IQ and and looking at some of the the boxes he checks off, it does sound like a grizzly type of pick. It does sound like a grizzly type of pick from what they've done the last few years. And, you know, it, it, as the draft went on, I ended up liking the pick a little bit more and more, even though it will take some time for him to go in there and develop I think he's in a good spot here. He said in the draft process, Memphis was one of his favorites, so he loved that. He's from a military family, as is Jaron. So there's a lot of similarities there. Those guys are really going to help him and try to help him build up and get ready for the pros. He's going to have to get a little bit stronger, though. He's going to have to cut down on turnovers. 
Going to have to get a little bit better at shooting. He's got decent handles for somebody his size. But he can play some defense here. And again, defense can get you on the floor in the NBA pretty quickly. But as far as the pick overall, we'll have to see how it turns out in, in years from now, whether it was worth it to trade up from 17 to pick number 10. But listen, anytime you have a chance to take somebody who's 6'10", can run like a gazelle, can play make, has handles, play, some, play pretty good defense, is comfortable making all types of shots, and also catch lobs, which you joked about with Jaw last night. If you have a chance to take that type of player, which I have been probably been begging for Memphis to do for so long, I think you got to do it. I, I think you got to. And so, all in all, I'm liking the pick a little bit more and more. And I'm starting to see why they went the direction that they did in taking him at number 10. Again, it might not have been worth that 10. Maybe he was still there at 17 from all indications from Zach Kleinman. He was thinking he wasn't going to be there at 17. And so... It was it was like you know what let's go up and get their guy and get our guy and that's what the Grizzlies have done these last couple drafts whether it was with Xavier Tillman and Desmond Bain last year Brandon Clark the year before they've gone up to get their guy and they've and they've done that and it's worked out for them pretty well in some regards so we'll just have to see how this pick develops they also drafted somebody I'd never heard of and Santi Aldama who's from Spain. And there's a little bit of concern here because there's some there's some talk that you no, know, I want to stay in Spain and I'm not gonna come over here. It sounds like the Grizzlies promised him. And also he uh there's some there's some talk you know with how his game is and them talking about him on the draft last night, going up to picking him at thirty, is that he he is a, a little bit of an inside out game. Where uh, where he can shoot outside, he's six eleven, uh, two fifteen. He's a twenty and ten type of guy in college, I believe last year. So that's that's pretty good. And also from from what he says, he styles himself after Pau Gasol. So I guess there is uh, it does make some sense now. Of course, we'll have to wait and see if he, come, he comes over here. But oh no, I don't. I don't think I was as harsh on picking Zaire Williams at ten. There was some talk of maybe Orlando because it does seem like their type of player would take him at eight. But he goes at ten, and this is a swing for the fences type of pick here because if Zaire Williams hits. If he becomes what the, the Grizzlies front office thinks he can become, then, oh boy, you got a wing that can do all the stuff that he can do. You pair him with Jaron and Ja and Dylan and all them. That's a winner right there. So that's the top 10. Now, as far as the draft, I thought going back to Houston, I think Houston had a pretty good draft. Looking at what they did, of course, getting Jalen Green, of course, it's going to help you out a little bit right there, to be honest. 
But as far as Houston goes, what they did was pretty good. Again, they got four first-round picks in the first round, uh, getting the Thunders pick at number 16. They took Alperin's Sanguin, who some people thought might have the potential to go in the lottery. They take him at 16. International player from Turkey. They're talking about during the draft, he's got some uh, Jokic to his game. So I think, I mean, listen, if you take the Joker in a redraft anywhere in, in his draft, top 10 pick, easy. Probably number one. It depends on the draft that he was in. I don't have the draft he was in up on my screen right now, but you take a guy that maybe has some Joker potential at 16, a good pick right there. And also you get a guy who's projected in the lottery and you grab him at 16. So there you go. He, I mean, and also listen, he won the Turkish league MVP at just 18 years old. Uh, according to the ringers uh, ringer, he's also drawn comparisons, comparisons to Nikola Vucevic and Enos Cantor. Uh, if he becomes a Vucevic type of player, good pick. Cantor, not too bad, but I think you'd rather him become Vucevic and become an all-star type of talent. And they also got another international guy, and a guy who was just playing for Spain probably while the draft was going on or in, in the Olympics. And they go and take Usman Garuba at number 23. And then at number 24, they take Josh Chris Josh Christopher from Arizona at number 24. And I and reunite him and Jalen Green. So I really like what the Rockets did. They get some two nice pieces for their backcourt and for their front court. Two guys from the international ranks who have a lot of potential if they hit. So I like what the Rockets did after Having the type of season they did last year, being complete crap, trading Harden, not a bad way to bounce back. Another team I thought did pretty well, Charlotte Hornets. You look at what they did at number 11. They, they got James Booknight, who fell all the way to 11. Guy that can put the bucket, put the ball in the bucket. Probably a Malik Monk replacement. Nice pairing with the middle ball. They also picked up Kai Jones from Texas at number 19, who I think Melo is really gonna love. Who's gonna? He's probably gonna be throwing a, a type. Who's probably a type of guy that Lamelo will throw a lot of lobs to, to, to him. And so you add those two to the Charlotte team, and it's not a bad Charlotte team if you look at it. It's not a bad team that the Hornets have put together here as of as of late. So I think the Char I think the Hornets did pretty well for themselves here. And depending on what you want to say about it, maybe Golden State end up winning the draft as well. Depending on if what you think about the Kaminga pick or whether they should have traded or not. But all in all it was a pretty fun draft night. Also you had the NBA honoring Late Kentucky guard Terrence Clark, who was supposed to be in this draft, but if you remember, died tragically a few months ago. And getting ready to 
go get ready for the NBA draft, get ready to be selected in this draft. And it was a very good move that the NBA did and honoring him last night at the draft. So all in all, a good night for the NBA and for the future of the league. Now, there's also a couple of trades that have gone down since then. R Ricky Rubio was traded to the Cavaliers yesterday. And also, as of today, the Oklahoma City Thunder had another first-round pick to their stockpile of first-round picks. And add Derek Favors to their fold as well. They get that first future first-rounder and Favors from Utah for a 2027 second-round pick. So now that helps Utah with their salary cap situation. Get some $13 million below the luxury tax with the Jazz likely to be hit with a lesser financial penalty if they want to bring back Mike Conley in free agency on Monday. So big, big couple days here for the NBA, especially yesterday with the Westbrook trade with the NBA draft and all that stuff that's gone down with it. So there is the NBA. And let's talk a little bit about the NFL and let's switch gears here over to the National Football League and talk about what's going on here. Of course, one of the big, bigger storylines of, of the NFL this week happened a little bit after our pot of Monday. Aaron Rodgers is going to be the QB at Green Bay. He's like, well, Ryan, why is that why is that noble? Well, if you kept up with the offseason stuff with him in the Green Bay, it's not that noble. It's actually quite significant with what what's happened with him. He's coming back here to Green Bay. Gonna be playing in twenty twenty one. They redid his contract. It sounds like he's gonna get a little bit more of a say in what's gonna happen with personnel. He wanted Randall Cobb back. They made a trade with Houston to get Randall Cobb back. And also, Randall Cobb made a funny couple comments about going from Houston to Green Bay. And he, he didn't, he said he didn't mean to take it for it to be a hit at Houston. But let's be real. It was a hit, and it was it's probably earned. But Aaron is coming back to Green Bay this year. And, you know, as press conference, he was actually pretty well honest about everything and really just spoke about everything that's been going on with him and with the organization. And, you know, I thought it was a pretty good showing from, uh, from Aaron that he talked about all the stuff, how he really wanted a whole lot more say in the personnel and all that stuff. And I don't see why you would say no to that considering the type of quarterback he is, the type of player that he is an MVP caliber player certainly was last year winning the, the award. But I think it, it makes sense to let him help with the personnel and Randall Cobb is a step, even though Randall Cobb might not be what he once was. It's still a sign that, Hey, maybe things are turning a corner with him and Green Bay and their front office and how they communicate. And if they can communicate better than they have in the past. So that's a big step 
for Green Bay, for Aaron Rodgers, and for their season. So that knocks off one question I have to ask for Green Bay and my NFC North preview. What's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers? So I'm going to have to figure out another question that I have for them coming into the season. So leaving that to transition to our AFC South preview, here's some questions I got to ask about some of the teams in the AFC South. Houston. What about Deshaun? What's the situation there? I don't know if anybody really kind of knows what's going on here. Is he going to play? Can he play? I'm guessing so. There's not been a whole lot of talk about it. It sounds like yeah, he's, sounds like he, he's going he's going to play right now. It looks like he's probably going to play. And he's he's at camp right now. So I I guess he is going to play. So I don't know what you do. I mean, you you also they, the Texans brought in Tyrod Taylor. If uh, anything should happen, they also drafted Davis Bills in the draft this this past year. So I don't know. Other than that, for Houston, let's see what else do I have here. Oh yeah, uh, I got nothing for you guys. I mean, that's the only question I really have about Houston. I think this team is honestly going to be terrible. They are probably the runaway favorites to get that number one pick in the 2022 draft. If they're not, what's wrong with people? So, I got nothing for you guys. That's the only question I have is about Deshaun. Other than that, this roster is not that good. It, it honestly stinks. So, I guess moving on from Houston and to a team we can actually talk about and have questions about, Indianapolis. Which... It's fitting, considering the update that I just got on my phone from The Athletic. Of course, the big one. What about Carson Wentz? What Carson Wentz are we going to get in 2021 after being traded from Philly? Not so good year with them. Traded to Indy. Is it going to help rejuvenate them? What's it going to be looking like? Well, the update I got, it's not good. Uh, it says he's sitting out with a foot injury. They're still evaluating the severity of it. So, everything's going on, starting off swimmingly here. But, with Carson Wentz, he's the key for, I think, for Indianapolis to get where they want to be. Top of the division, in the playoffs, and competing in the playoffs. He's going to be the key to all this. Now, the good part for Colts fans, there's some chemistry with Wentz and with Frank Reich, who was at Philly really early on in Wentz's career. And see if maybe they could reconnect on some of that and get Wentz back to where he was. So that's the first question is what Carson Wentz are we going to see this year? Are we going to see the guy that we've seen in Philly the past couple of years? Or are we going to see him rejuvenated? He's with Frank Wright again. He's got a decent offensive line. Probably, uh, that's probably an understatement right there. One of the best, maybe one of the best offensive lines in the league. What's he going to look like this year? Because he is the key for Indianapolis this season. If Wentz doesn't perform well, 
I think things are going to be a lot more tougher for Indianapolis uh, than people think. I think people are going with Indy. They feel good about Indy with their team. They got some good weapons there. T.Y. Hilton. We'll see how much. How, we'll see if he's rejuvenated this year. You have Paris Campbell coming back. Michael Pittman coming off a pretty good rookie year. You have Jonathan Taylor coming off a pretty good rookie year as your as your main guy at running back. Naheem Hines. There's some pieces there for Indianapolis to work with, but all that's going to be for naught if you don't get a good Carson Wentz at quarterback. So, second question I have for Indy is the thing that would help Carson Wentz get back to a really good form is the offensive line. Now, they did lose. Uh, now, Anthony Casanzo, he's gone. You bring in Eric Fisher, who is recovering from an Achilles tear. So you're going to have to wonder if he's not going to be ready to go in time, who's going to be the left tackle there. So that's going to be a question. But the Indianapolis offensive line is still really strong, especially the interior of the line with Quinn Nelson, maybe the best guard in the league, Ryan, Ke- Ryan Kelly at center, Brayden Smith. Just, again, this the offensive line might be key to helping Carson Wentz succeed because if they can protect him, Carson isn't getting hit as more. The internal clock in his head isn't going off as quick as it would be with the terrible offensive line. So if Indianapolis offensive line can figure out left tackle, if Fisher's going to be back right away, then that might be able to help maximize Wentz and getting back to an MVP type of level. Or even just a pretty good type of level. Maybe not MVP. And then last question for an Indy. Can the defense find a pass rush? That's something that they keyed in on in the in the offseason. And they drafted Quiddy Pay, their first round pick, a guy that they can hope can help that problem out. They did lose Justin Houston to Nico Autry. So you gotta hope Pay is able to help out right away, even though he is a little bit raw. Kimboko Ture, Taekwon Lewis, Alquaida Muhammad, who are you gonna be getting the pass rush from? Where are you going to be getting it from? And how much is it going to help this defense? Because honestly, the defense for Indianapolis was pretty solid last year. So you got to hope the defense can find a pass rush there. Jacksonville. This is probably the only question I have for Jacksonville, but it's probably one for all that would be one I have for all three of them. What should the expectations be for Trevor Lawrence and Head coach Arbor Meyer be in year one. So let's start with Trevor Lawrence with what they did. Uh, so Trevor is going to start week one in all likelihood. There's nobody that, unless Gardner Minshew makes a historic run here, like one, one of his wildest comments they said. He's probably going to be the number two, but it's going to be Trevor's job. So he's going to be starting week one. Well, how's Trevor going to look like? You're going, Of course, I mean, everybody's going to compare him to past rookie quarterbacks that have had some success. Baker had some level of success uh, when he was a rookie. 
how's he going to perform in an NFL type of system? Which they did add some pieces. You did have DJ Chark, who has started to emerge as the guy there at wide receiver. They did bring in Marvin Jones from Detroit, even though he's 31. You have a veteran, a veteran wide receiver there for him to work with. Tebow, eh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if Tebow is going to make the team or not, or if he's going to make an impact or not. But, Trevor, you also have a decent backfield. You did bring his running mate in, Travis Etienne from Clemson. Uh, James Robinson had one of the best seasons ever by an undrafted rookie. So it might be split backfield between him and Etienne. And then the offensive line is, I don't think you can expect to put too much on Trevor Lawrence's shoulders right away. Him coming in and starting week one. Just got to take things week by week and see how well he does. What does he need to work on? As far as Urban Meyer, him transitioning from the college game to not coaching at all and being in an analyst to coaching in the NFL. Now, if you know Urban from the past and why he's had to leave Florida, Ohio State, a lot of it you can kind of connect to stress issues. I was a little bit more stressful. The NFL is going to be a little bit more stressful than college jobs, than Ohio State, than Florida. It's the NFL. It's going to be more stressful for uh, for anybody. But for Urban Meyer, it does make you wonder. But he's going to have to transition from coaching college to the NFL. And, you know, look, thinking back to his draft, I remember, I remember talking about it now all those months ago, back in late April, early May, where we're now in late July and early August, is that it really seemed like a draft that Urban Meyer would do if he was still in college and if he if he was coaching the Jaguars. It really did kind of feel like, you know, I don't know if Urban understands the draft that much at all. Trevor Lawrence, I mean, that's the easy pick. Then you had ETN, and there were reports saying, like, oh, you might use him as a guy that throw it to him on third down, maybe have him split out wide receiver some. Like, okay. So you're just going to have to wonder how he's going to transition. And that's going to be the big thing for the Jags this year. I don't know what success looks like for the Jags this year. Just look like, I think, if you compete in every game, compete in every game, get valuable reps for a lot of those young players, then I think that's a win for the Jaguars this year. Other than that, they're not going to win a lot of games. Now, for my Titans, I got three really important questions to ask them that I'm really wanting to know myself. Is that, can the offense stay on track from what they did last year? Losing Arthur Smith to the Falcons hurts, so Todd Downing comes in as the OC. You... Lose Johnny Smith and Corey Davis. However, you're hoping Anthony Ferkser can come in and step up. And it sounds like from early on training camp, he's been a guy that's really stepped up his game. And also, you brought in a guy called Julio Jones, who's uh, he's pretty good. So, 
how's the offense going to look this year? Is it going to look something like last year? Are they going to be able to find that chemistry during training camp and have that translate to the regular season? Is it going to be, is the offense going to be similar or a little bit different compared to what we saw last year? Where's a whole lot of let Henry run a lot of play action and really a whole lot of play action, deep threats. Um, to Corey or to AJ or whoever else. So that's going to be a key thing. Also, AJ Brown, is he going to be able to take that next step to be truly one of the elite wide receivers in the game? And I don't, and I think having Julio will really help him in that regard. I sent it back to when the trade happened. I'll reiterate it again. I think it's going to help him on and off the field. It's going to help him become a better player on and off the field. It's really going to help this Titans offense potentially maybe even take a leap forward. Even what they did last year on offense was pretty pretty good. Uh, with the type of high-flying offense they had, being able to put up points in games. And, uh, oh yeah, having a 2,000-yard rusher. So, <laughs> so can the uh, Titans offense stay on track from what it did last year? That's question number one. Question number two. I guess we'll stick with offense here. What will Derrick Henry look like this year after coming off a 2,000-yard rushing season? Is he going to be sane? Are they going to rely a little bit more on Darrington Evans, their third-round pick from last year, who didn't play that much? Are they going to rely on him to come in and kind of help the load there and get some reps there in the backfield and be a little bit of a different change of pace type of running back than Henry is? That will remain to be seen. So that might be an option. But I do think we'll see a monster Derrick Henry this year. I mean, listen, the Tynes offense, you got physical freaks everywhere. You got Henry, Julio, A.J. Brown. Good grief. So that's question number two. Question number three is more critical for me. Because if they can get to at least average, I think there could be something. Especially the offense continues to on the track that it was last year is that is can the defense come alive this year? Can they, can they find themselves this year after having a put it bluntly, a dismal year last year on defense? They were dismal last year. No pass rush whatsoever. One of the bottom teams in the league in terms of sacks. Did not look like the defense that they that they looked like in 2019. So what do they do to help out that defense? Well, they go out and sign Bud Dupree on defense, and you hope he recovers from his torn ACL. You draft Kyle Fairley in the first round, and you hope he's able to contribute as well. You sign Janoris Jenkins. You hope Christian Fulton. To take that next step. Jeffrey Simmons. He can. Hopefully. He can take that next step. To be. An absolutely. Dominant guy. On the interior. Of a def- defensive line. Assigned to Nico Autry. To kind of help out. You brought back. Jayon Brown. Can Rashawn Evans. Get back to. A decent form. Can Harold Landry. Get back to a good form. Kevin Byard. Who. Was. A couple years ago. Was one of the best safeties. In the league. Now it's kind of falling off a little bit. Can he find himself again? 
those are going to be the big questions for the defense. And, and for the main question, can the defense find a way to get back to at least an average form? If it can get back to an average form, I think that would be better off and could really help increase the Titans' chances at maybe trying to make another type of run that they made a couple years ago. So, those are the questions I have for the Titans. And, of course, Indy and Tennessee, they're going to be the two teams that are going to be, that we're going to be worried about with this division, about who's going to come on top and win this division. I still think my Titans can end up winning this division. Again, for Indy, it all depends on Carson Wentz. If Carson Wentz can get back to pretty good form, I think Indy could potentially win this division. But we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see as uh, the season roll along, rolls along here as a, with training camp and uh, we'll get to the regular season starting here in uh, about a month as it's July 30th. We got August 1st coming up on Sunday, so it's going to be here before you know it. So that's the AFC South, guys, and that is the AFC. We've wrapped up the AFC next week. We'll probably be going back to our regular schedule going around midweek. And we'll go to the NFC. And we'll start off similarly to how we started off with the AFC. And we'll go with the NFC East and talk about the Cowboys, Eagles, the Giants, and the Washington football team next week. So, with all that said, thank you guys for listening and tuning in to Two pods that we've had this week talking about everything going on with Texas and Oklahoma, NBA draft, NFL previews. If you haven't already, go be sure to check out this pod and the pod we did on Monday on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Anchor, wherever you guys get your podcasts. Thanks, Anchor, for sponsoring the show as always. Check out the entertainment channel as well to check up on past pods there. And also, we might be having a pod here. Coming up shortly on Entertainment with the Suicide Squad movie coming out next week. And from everything that's being said, it sounds like it it's going to be really good and really fun. So I'm looking forward to that. So hopefully we can do a pod here uh, when that comes out next week and do a pod around that time. So with all that being said, guys, hopefully you guys have a great weekend. Until next week, we'll talk to you next time.